everybody how are you doing this is the bearded moose and the outlaw podcast i'm your host josh moosel or the bearded moose and i have with me as always jesse dice the outlaw what's going on man not much do you have a good weekend i had a great weekend we had xfl football um which is just to me is amazing and uh i love this uh football season all year round thing man yeah, I was going to say, I feel the same way. It's it's nice to have football pa- uh, past the Super Bowl. And completely unrelated, how excited are you this weekend? We're going to go get to see Tampa Bay in Houston. Yes, sir. Yeah, we'll be uh, at the Tampa Bay home opener against the Red Hot Houston Roughnecks. Uh, we'll be sitting up in the press box getting a little bit of, uh, of in-depth action for you guys. Um, I, for one, am super excited. I... I'm really, really excited to see what the atmosphere at Raymond James is going to be like. Me too. This being the home opener, I'm kind of excited. We we don't have anything to base it off of yet, but if it's anything like the XFL games I've seen in weeks one and weeks two, I could not be more excited. Absolutely. Well, while we're talking about Tampa Bay, uh, I know it's a little bit out of order, but we're going to talk about our Saturday games and our Sunday games again. I'm going to go ahead and defer to you, my friend, uh, to talk about the Tampa Bay Vipers and Seattle Dragons football game. All right. Uh, This week, everybody knows the Vipers and the Dragons faced off. And Josh, have you ever watched a game where it seemed like neither team really wanted to win the football game? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what this one felt like. The Vipers outgained the Dragons 300 to 200 as far as offensive yardage goes, but they also turned the ball over three times, and was uh, they were led by a very lackluster performance at quarterback from Taylor Cornelius, and it just it, it looked it looked bad from the get go. So far, two weeks in, uh, the Tampa Bay is the only team yet to score an offensive touchdown, and Seattle's defense played very very well. Seattle's offense, not not so much. They have one they have one key highlight, and that's probably one of the only times I've ever seen this, where a quarterback had 91 yards of passing and 87 of them were to one receiver, Keelan Reynolds. But Keelan Reynolds had the 69-yard touchdown. That seemed to be pretty much the difference in this game. And other than that, it was just a, it was just a very very boring game. Tampa Bay did have an interception return for touchdown from Tavarius McFadden. Those of you who don't remember him, he did go to my Florida State Seminoles. It was exciting to see him get a little bit of time out there on the field. And this game also produced our Defensive Player of the Week and Marcellus Branch. Sorry, I drew a blank on his name for a second. It's Marcellus right. Frazier. He had 12 tackles, and he had two tackles for a loss. Absolutely, and he added a sack on there. Um, and that was Marcellus Branch, um, but our, which is interesting that you talked about Frazier, who was our actual runner-up for the Ambush Sports Defensive Player of the Week, uh, for one of, if not the best defensive plays that we've seen so far in the XFL, with the uh, just plucking the ball out of the air on the half-yard line for Seattle to give the go-ahead touchdown. Um, if I can piggyback for just a second... Uh, on this Vipers-Dragons game, I do want to talk a little bit about how well the defense 
has has actually played for the Vipers. Um, I know it hasn't showed it because they've lost twice. They've given up a couple of points. But if you really look at it, um, there's been quite a few defensive touchdowns scored, uh, which shouldn't go against the defense. Um, they did hold, <clears throat> excuse me, they did hold the Seattle Dragons to less than 200 yards of offense again. Um, I think they only allowed like 220 something last week. Um, you know, they, they've been getting the sacks. They've got the pick six to score the first. Uh, Vipers touchdown and you did produce this week's defensive player of the week uh in in Marcellus Branch which is uh is pretty impressive for a team that that is 0-2 and has scored uh very very few points uh on the season but it is fitting that uh, we're talking about how well this defense has done and the only touchdown that they've scored came uh off of a defensive score uh, so I just wanted to piggyback a little bit on that that Vipers defense. I didn't want to find the, the diamond in the rough, so to speak. Uh, the offense has been not pretty, but the defense has been uh, pretty stout. You got anything else on that before we move on? The defense has been amazing, and I apologize for that. Uh, I apologize for that mistake in the name. I typed it up wrong when I was getting my notes ready. It's all right. I probably confused him because I was talking off air and said that he was our uh, runner-up. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so Marcellus Branch, Defensive Player of the Week for Week 2. Uh, that is the Ambush Sports consensus vote. The staff picked uh, Marcellus Branch with his 12 tackles, one sack, and two tackles for loss. So we'll go ahead and move over to the New York Guardians and the D.C. Defenders. And if I am not mistaken, the outlaw, Jesse Dice, we made a water bet on this game. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. And I was very confident in the fact that DC would win this game because I was not overly confident in the Guardians' ability to produce offensive plays. And boy, oh boy, was I right. (laughs) 137 yards of offense for the New York Guardians to 384 for the defenders. Now let's just show this, stop for a second. I want us to pay attention to the disparities here. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the Vipers put up almost 400 yards of offense. Or was it almost 300 yards of offense? I can't remember what it was. But the Vipers put up a lot of yardage against the defend, uh, rather the Guardians. Now, the Guardians had the defensive touchdown. They had a couple of opportunistic t- uh, interceptions and fumbles and stuff like that. But I just didn't think that that Guardians defense was as good as it showed in week one. Um, and we kind of saw that again, 384 yards, Cardell Jones looked phenomenal again. Um, now I don't mean to, to sound, uh, like I'm downplaying the DC defenders at all, but I will say that the DC defenders to me have not really done anything that blows me away. Um, the offense hasn't like blown the lid off. The defense isn't like this lockdown takeaway machine, not allowing any yardage at all. Um, they did seem to kind of play that this week. Um, but if I can say anything about the defenders, is I the the DC defenders are probably the most well-rounded, well-balanced team in the XFL, and that is going to win them football games. They've got an offense that is uh, that is uh, mostly electric. It's not a ton of downfield, a lot of big things, but they they move the ball effectively both in the in the run game this week. Um, they 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 kind of went a little more run heavy. Uh, than they did in week one. Uh, Cardell Jones is, has really played almost uh, mistake-free football. I think he went for another 276 and two touchdowns. He did have the interception, um, but he's not really doing anything that's going to hurt the defenders. Um, the the running backs aren't doing anything to hurt the defenders. And the defense, uh, you know, 
living large on the namesake of completely pitching a shutout. Uh, DC did phenomenal in this game. Again, I have to say, I think they're the most well-rounded team so far in the league. I know we're only two weeks in, but that defense looks great. That offense is good. Uh, and honestly, in, in a league where we don't really know what's going on, to be good in all aspects of the game is better than being great in one aspect of the game as we just talked about the Vipers. The defense for the Vipers has been great, but the offense has been poor. Uh, here we're seeing two, uh, a good offense, a good defense, a good special teams, and, and it's winning on football games. It's winning on football games. Uh, you got anything you want to add to the D.C. Uh, Defenders-New York Guardians game? Um, yeah, actually. I wasn't able to watch that game, but looking at the stat line, I was kind of curious as far as what happened because I see Matt McGloin went 8 of 19, and I see he didn't finish the game, or at least it looks like he didn't. I was just curious, was uh, was that an injury-related, or was he just ineffective and they decided to swap him out? Uh, definitely ineffective. <laughs> Very ineffective. Uh, two interceptions. Uh, he was pulled, I believe, immediately after the pick six. But he didn't do himself any favors at halftime. Uh, they did one of the, my, my most favorite things in the entire XFL. One of those like sideline or what I like to call just the in-your-face gotcha interviews. Uh, McGloin was running off the field for halftime. They did catch up with him on the sideline there. And uh, he said, and I quote, when he was asked what needs to change, uh, the entire offensive game plan. And everybody kind of joked about it and said that with a short halftime, only 10 minutes, that's a heck of a feat to try to learn a completely different offense in 10 minutes. And uh, as you can tell with the final score, they probably did not. Uh, looked pretty much more of the same. Matter of fact, when he came back out of halftime, uh, he did throw a touchdown. It was just to uh, Jameer uh, Thurman, if I'm not mistaken, on a pick six. And then he did sit down uh, after that, and really uh, nothing happened, <laughs> as you can as you can see, not a whole lot there offensively. Um, looks like maybe a little bit of team cohesion, offensive cohesion uh, problems. Um, but, you know, you kind of expect these things, especially when you come in 1-0 and uh, you know, you're expected, you know, you think that you're supposed to win this football game. And it was a hard, a hard thing. But uh, I'm curious to see how they rebound from that. Uh, that is being the Guardians. You know, does this help them? Or is this going to, are we just going to see them continue to nosedive? Uh, and, and I don't know, maybe not win another game. Who knows? Yeah, I got you. Um, one other thing I was kind of curious about, what do you make of DC's 2-0 start? Do you, think that, do you think that they are as good as advertised, or do you think that they've had the benefit of playing two of the, two of the worst teams in the XFL so far? That's actually a very fair question, I think. Um, and I know that there's probably, if DC fans are listening, they're probably yelling at us, of course we're that good. And I, I don't disagree with that, actually. I think, again, like I was saying, I think this is a team that is good in all aspects. I don't think they're exceptionally great anywhere. Um, although I do think this defense definitely take, gets a huge boost with that uh, Anthony Johnson pickup with the trade that they had there. Um, you saw him almost right away kind of make a difference. Uh, but... <clears throat> excuse me but uh i do think that again i think being good in all aspects uh and you can you can honestly make the argument that they might be borderline great on defense but to have a great defense a good offense and a solid special teams that's gonna win in this league and we're seeing it we're, we're they're showing out um 
I mean, I know they go. Uh, you know, well, we'll talk about it later. But but um, I know that we're really not going to see a big test yet. Uh, but it might be one of their biggest tests to date next week. But I, I think this team's is good. I really do. I think that they. Um, I think that they're playing really good football for the XFL needs and wants, and, and I think it's going to win us some football games for sure. Okay. Now, I did have the opportunity earlier today to uh, step away and call our Ambush Sports team DC Defenders writer, Venora Lewis. Uh, she's been covering the team for a while. She went to at least week one. I don't remember if she went to the week two game or not, um, but she's uh, she's phenomenal. She's one of my uh, absolutely just favorite people in the world right now. Um, she's uh, just super good with everything she touches so far. But I'm going to go ahead, we're going to step away, go to that interview real quick, and then we'll meet you right back here. Hey everybody, how you doing today? I've got uh, Venora Lewis on the on the line with me. She is the team writer for the DC Defenders. She is the head of Ambush Sports NBA division and just an all-around awesome stinking person. Uh, I just want you guys to, to, to check out what she's got to say about her DC Defenders. Um, how you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on your show. Yes, ma'am. I'm glad we could get you. Uh, we were just talking a little bit offline uh, about how you were lined up to be our next guest when we did the Aftermath podcast before the very sad ending to the AAF. So I'm glad that you could be our first guest on the new <laughs> XFL one we got going on here. But uh, yeah, I really want to talk some DC Defenders football. This XFL weekend was great. Um, but the Saturday games are a little lackluster, except for the DC Defenders. They looked phenomenal offensively, defensively, special teams. Um, so I just kind of want you to elaborate a little bit on how this offense and defense kind of seems to be clicking and just running like on all cylinders right now. Well, yes, you're 100% right. The offense and defense, they're all connected now. Um, obviously, it's in the first game. Uh, while I was watching it, I saw that the defense was struggling a little bit, even though the score was good, but they were struggling to hold um, the Seattle Dragons um, offense. But in this New York game, the defenders completely dominated. They were able to not only hold the, the Guardians to zero, but were able to score and continue to score. And that was very impressive. And I felt like I was watching a not to say that's not a real football game, but more of like an NFL style football game. It's a dominating team. I feel like the defenders are now moving toward, like they're already the head of the of the East, but they are a dominant force in the East. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I mean, the way they looked, and I'll kind of move into our second point here. Um, I feel like the DC defenders team is far and away the most balanced team, offensively, defensively, special teams. Um, just kind of talking with Jesse uh, offline earlier, uh, we were talking a lot about how I, I don't necessarily want to say I think that the D.C. defenders have the best offense or the best defense or the best special teams, but they're definitely really good on all fronts. And is it better to be good at everything than great at one thing and maybe poor at another? Um, D.C. is kind of showing that. So what, what do you think? I mean, is this the most balanced team in the XFL? I do believe that the Fed is the most balanced team. I will um, also like, revert quickly to the NFL. When you have a really good offense like the Kansas City Chiefs, they have a dominating offense, but their defense is subpar. They have to have their offense play more to 
make sure they win games so that their defense doesn't have to be relied on. And the XFL, you don't want that. You want your team to be balanced. I'd rather have everybody good at something than a great offense and a trash defense or a trash offense or a great defense. I feel I still feel like having that inconsistency would really mess up your team. I feel with other teams, they have players that are more well-known or more star names, but still not producing the same way the defenders are doing. Yeah, um, and kind of elaborate on that point a little bit, something that might surprise anybody that's watched the XFL, but when you speak about a great part of a team with a, a very poor part of a team, the, XFL, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Vipers have got arguably one of the best defenses in the XFL, but you wouldn't know it because they're 0-2, and they've given up, uh, what, 23 and 17 points. But when you look at the flip side of that, three, I think, of the four touchdowns given up have been – uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, pick six or scoop and score. So yeah, to to kind of elaborate to that point, even in the XFL, to be, have a great defense and a poor offense leads you to zero and two and in almost an embarrassing start to this this brand new league. Um, yes, for sure. Now I do have this this next question, uh, <laughs> and is DC are they contenders or pretenders? And the reason I ask is we have seen DC um, not really face. Uh, the, the toughest of competition yet. We've got Seattle, and they won the Seattle game. They won the New York Guardians uh, game, sure. obviously in the 27-0 shutout. Now, is this a legit team, or have they just not really played competition? What do you think, in your opinion? I feel like once the defenders play Houston, that's when I'll see if they are really are pretenders or contenders. Because, like you said, Seattle, well, that was the first game, but New York, was supposed to be, like according to other analysts, they expected the Guardians actually to win because how they played in their first game. So I think it's a little bit too early to make that determination now because next week the defenders are playing the LA Wildcats and the LA Wildcats are on a win two star as well. So I'm just trying to see um, once they play, I'm not going to say actual competition, but I will say actual competition <laughs> that I can be able to see. Will they take it all or is it just another, you know, a team that's coasting. Because right now if you're playing, teams are less, I would say, less talented than you. But um, if you're playing that, those type of teams that aren't at the other level, then it's going to be a coast until you play a team that can really show you what's up. No, and I, I think that's a very fair point. Um, now, regardless, contender or pretender, um, uh-huh. I mean, I, the way that it looks, I mean, we're looking at week five before D.C. runs into St. Louis. And then week uh-huh. six, they go to Dallas. We're still on the fence about whether or not Dallas is going to be good or not. Um, but, I mean, you look like you're, you have a very good opportunity to start 4-0. I mean, in a, in a short short season with only eight <laughs> teams, um, that definitely sits pretty. But it also kind of gives you a difficult back half of your schedule as it looks like you're playing New York twice and the Vipers twice in the first uh, five weeks. Um, yeah. So definitely a tough second stretch. But you're looking at maybe going into this 4-0 and before you even hit week five and hit a St. Louis team, which, again, we're still on the fence about. I mean, they've definitely uh, definitely one of the more fun teams to watch. So I'm personally, okay. that's probably one I'm marking on my calendar is the first really, really, like, super fun, uh, going to really have some playoff implication type mojo to it is that, uh, that Battlehawks defenders game. Because I, I I agree with you 100%. I believe that game will show – that will actually give us more of our answer, pretender or, or contender, because 
once again, it's halfway to the season. And it like St. Um, St. Louis is a good team. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the Vipers have probably, I would say, one of the best defenses in the XFL. Like, to me, I honestly believe they have the best defense in the XFL. So to take your offense against that defense, take your team against uh, this other pretty good team, it will show us if you really are about winning this chip or is it just been a nice coast. So I agree 100%. And I think, I do think that the defenders will beat Dallas. But I think they'll also, if I will say by week seven, I think the defenders will lose one of those games. Mm-hmm. Up to week seven. Well, there we go. So week seven might lose one of those games. I, I can't disagree there either. I mean, you're talking about all the all these teams are going to continue to get better. At least that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping to see a, a more evenly matched uh, games. And I think that as these offenses continue to get better, I mean, obviously we're seeing the defenses seem to be way ahead of the offenses, which are kind of contributing to these lower scores. Um, but eventually these offenses will click. And we're going to start seeing some uh, some improvements on all aspects. But it does make me wonder, I mean, if, if this is a bad, you know, quote, unquote, bad D.C. still learning the offense team, how much better can they get as well? So I am also really excited for some of these uh, tougher matchups to see how they play. Now, is there anything else you want to add that I did not talk about when it comes to D.C.? I also kind of mentioned their fans. I noticed – like, after going to the game and observing other games, these fans are 100% in on whatever DC they are doing, as whatever DC team is doing. And I have to shout out the fans because they were, like, all the merchandise literally before halftime. They were sold out. And I was just like, wow, like, you guys really do rock your team. <laughs> so that was really cool to see. I'm, I'm from New York, so I, I'm a Giants fan, you know, Rangers fan. Knicks fan, <laughs> like <laughs> Yankees diehard fan. So it's just like I know I see like like the I was say the more like known teams out their fans act, but to see the defenders act the same way that Yankee fans act was insane to me. It was beautiful to see. Which also I would say that I see the XFL maybe going more to just you know just the start of the year. I see them going pretty far because how their fans are connected and engaged to their players, how the 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 organization as a whole is run. It's very like it's. I see a lot of promise there. I just want to make sure that I said that. Because I see a lot of promise. I see a lot. Of, I see it going further than what some people are saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't. I, I'd have to go with. I mean, watching the games, I'm seeing the stands um, mm-hmm. just absolutely full in a, in a lot of these different places. I mean, what Seattle had some thirty thousand. Uh, this this past weekend, I mean, just mm-hmm. really great turnout, and then it looks fun. I'm like, I, personally, I cannot wait to show up to Raymond James for this game and see how this is. So I'm super glad the Vipers are coming home and have that yeah. opportunity. But um, I'm super glad that you brought up, you know, the the fan base. I mean, that's really what's gonna uh, determine whether or not this does or does not last. And I, I'm super mm-hmm. encouraged to hear you say that that being there and seeing that and seeing the support behind it is awesome. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. So go ahead and tell everybody where we can find you on, on social media so they can follow okay. you and your articles and the stuff that you're tweeting and talking about. All right. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nora, N-O-R-A, underscore Natish, N-A-T-I-S-H. You can check out all my ambush articles about 
NBA, NFL, XFL, even baseball if I get to it. <laughs> you can check all that stuff out and I'll check out. Check me out, guys. For sure. I definitely encourage it. I recommend it. She's awesome. Does great content. <laughs> And I'm super, super happy we got a chance to get you on and I got a chance to talk to you. Um, I had a blast. Thank you very much for this. Thank you for all that you do with Ambush and for Ambush. Um, and with that, we're going to head out and uh, I'll talk to you all later. Bye. And we are back. I just want to thank, again, I want to thank Ms. Venora Lewis for taking the time out to talk with us, talk a little D.C. Defenders football. Um, that was phenomenal, as always, to get the opportunity to speak with her. Um, but, Jesse, my friend, I'm going to go ahead and kick over to you as you talk a little bit about the Dallas Renegades-Los Angeles Wildcats football game to kick off Sunday. All right. Um, Dallas, Dallas and Los Angeles. This was a classic game of if you turned it off at halftime because it was 3 to nothing, you missed a heck of a fourth quarter. Final score wound up being 25-18 Renegades. Uh, looking at the stats, this was a game that really shouldn't have been that close, but Dallas had three turnovers, and that, that seemed to keep the Wildcats in the game a lot longer than they should have been. Dallas outgained L.A. 444-251. to Had eight more first downs. Uh, ran 11 more offensive plays and was averaging almost three yards of play more than the Wildcats were getting, but those turnovers just seemed to really hurt them. Landry Jones made his debut today, and he completed 70% of his passes, but he did throw two interceptions and only one touchdown. He did have 305 yards, but he still it still didn't feel like the performance I was expecting from the guy everybody thought was going to be the league MVP this year. Now, what I was impressed by was, was uh, Artis Payne in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, he had two rushing touchdowns. He ended up with 99 yards on the day. And he also ended up with 32 receiving yards in the victory. On the defeat, on, on the defeat, we also had Josh Johnson making his first uh, first start uh, in his XFL career. Kind of funny the way this game worked. You had two quarterbacks starting for the first time in the second week. But he went 18 for 34 for 196 and two touchdowns. He didn't have a bad day, but he didn't have a particularly great day either. I saw him. I saw him a couple of times miss some wide open receivers, and I just. I just felt like he, he he came out a little rusty, that's all. Um, the other highlight for the for the Los Angeles was uh, Spruce, their wide receiver. He went 6 for 89 with two touchdowns, which if anybody followed the AAF, that is not a surprise because he did very well over there, if I'm not mistaken, Josh. Absolutely, yeah. I think I tweeted last week that Nelson Spruce going over 100 yards in like the first half was what I was here for. <laughs> I'm a Nelson Spruce fan, so to see him kicking off like this, uh, yeah, definitely not a surprise. And it definitely brought out one of the one of the few sideline interviews that has actually been quite entertaining to me, seeing the little back and forth between him and Todd Gurley, because apparently they are pretty good friends. And him joking with Todd Gurley about teaching him how to catch that was a that was a pretty funny little side, you know, little side note in the game. I I definitely enjoyed that. Josh, did you have anything you wanted to add about this game? No, I mean, I'll be honest. I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a, a, a fun second half. Um, really picked up and became quite an interesting game. I know we were joking off air earlier 
that the first half of this game more or less belonged to the Saturday slate because the Saturday slate was a little little more boring and then the uh, basically from halftime on through the rest of Sunday became all the fun games. Uh, so uh, definitely like a tale of, of two halves there um, in, in how that uh, how that played out. But no, I mean you, you mentioned Nelson Spruce, uh, big fan. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, had the two touchdowns. And then Cameron Artis Payne uh, really just turned it on. Uh, something I did want to kind of touch on is I think last week we talked about the lack of carrying the football. We saw a lot more running this week. And uh, just something that was interesting to me is looking at the, the stats here is uh, Dallas Renegades had two running backs with over or with seven yards or more per carry. You had Lance Dunbar with uh, six carries for 42 at a seven-yard seven average. And then Artis Payne with his 14.99 came out to about a 7.1. Uh, both of them with a 14-yard or longer long carry. So definitely something that was uh, that was interesting to see. Um, and something I want to go back and look at is these teams that ran the ball effectively. Uh, you know, kind of how 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 are their record looking right now? Um, I know we talked about that last week with the Battlehawks and the team that seemed to really favor the run over basically everybody else. Um, so we'll go ahead and just slide over there to the St. Louis Battlehawks and the Houston Roughnecks game. Which, now this was – go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say uh, – not. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but this uh, we, we highlighted this game as the game of the week last week in our podcast, and I don't think this one disappointed. Not at all. That was actually what I was just about to say is that we we really talked this game up, um, and and it was it was interesting. I think if we talked about it – we said that it was about this high passing offense versus this this uh, more run heavy offense, and and I don't know if they were listening and just wanted to make us look silly, but it was very uh, almost opposite. <laughs> if you look at the stats, um, the the Roughnecks uh, really only had 170 passing yards. <laughs> Wouldn't you believe that, right? Um, <clears throat> Definitely surprised so, me. So uh, now, yeah, right. And uh, although you know they did put up, uh, they had a couple touchdowns. Uh, Phil, uh, Philip Nelson, oh jeez, not Philip Nelson. PJ Walker uh, did have another three touchdowns through the air, um, but yeah, only 170 passing yards, three touchdowns, no uh, interceptions this week. Uh, and Jordan Tamu went 30 for 37 with 284 and three touchdowns, but did have two interceptions. We'll talk about the last one in a second. Um, don't worry. You can stay in your seats. We will talk about it. Um, but just to kind of, to kind of recap some other, uh, some other things here, PJ Walker did add another 27 yards on the ground. Um, and we had, uh, we saw on the other side with the battle Hawks, Matt Jones, uh, not quite as effective running the football this time, but he did have a pretty nice catch and run uh, that went for uh, for a touchdown. So, <clears throat> if I am the coach for the ba- uh, the Battle Hawks, I'm letting Tamu throw this football more. He really showed like his his escapability. Um, there was one point in in the game where he. He was doing a play action. He actually slips and falls, stands up with two guys in his face, avoids both guys, and instead of taking almost an 11-yard sack, picks up eight yards. I mean, so he's, he's got escapability, um, and the kid has got an arm. He's he's really a, he's a good quarterback. 
Um, I know that we kind of weren't sure. We were on the fence last week about it. Uh, you know, is he good? We're not 100% sure. There's not a ton of college stats to look at. Um, but he also added uh, 32 yards on the ground in a touchdown. Um, so four touchdowns on the day. Uh, he did have the two interceptions. Uh, but this game did. We talked about the Tampa Bay game featuring our defensive player of the week. Our offensive player of the week also came out of this game. For the Houston Roughnecks, you had Cam Phillips, who caught eight of his ten targets, 63 yards, and three touchdowns. Um, the reason Cam won this, I believe, over a couple, again, a very highly contested uh, for us and the ambush staff as we were as we were voting on who was going to win this player of the week. Uh, I think what really set Phillips over the top was he really was the difference maker. Um, like there was a lot of guys that were were right there when it came to voting, but it was Cam and the fact that he caught these touchdowns and he caught a couple really tight passes that kept the lead. Uh, and help them win the football game. So our Ambush Sports Offensive Player of the Week, Cam Phillips, uh, on his Week 2 performance, uh, kudos to him. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal play on his part and the Roughnecks part. But if I'm a St. Louis Battlehawks fan, I am not disappointed. And as a matter of fact, if you are a St. Louis Battlehawks fan, you are probably yelling at me right now to talk about this last interception because you're probably telling me that they, that, that the Battlehawks should have won the football game. And I don't know if I can necessarily disagree with that kind of talk. Um, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the play uh, about whether, uh, and I don't have the player name off the top of my head, that somebody jumped off sides, same with thought he had a free play, threw the ball deep, it got picked. Um, there's one thing I will say that might upset some Battlehawks fans. It's this, even if you think you have a free play, it's never a good idea to throw in a double coverage. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. You're supposed to throw the deep ball, and it's a all-reward, no-risk type of a play. Aaron Rodgers is the best in the world at it. Aaron Rodgers isn't throwing a double coverage when he gets a guy to jump off sides. He's throwing that deep route. They've already got that planned. It's something that's been worked on year after year after year after year after year. If the receiver sees the offsides, they see the flag go up, he's going on a deep route, and it's typically one-on-one. -on -one. If he catches it, it's a long play. If he doesn't catch it, nobody catches it. This was not that case. He threw it in a double coverage, got picked, no flag. It's terrible. I have to go back and watch it like 10,000 more times to see if, uh, you know, I've, I've seen both sides. He got back on sides. He didn't get, he was offsides. All kinds of different things have come across the, uh, the, the Twitter sphere here. Um, but that was the second interception on what was supposed to be a free play, what it was presumed to be a free play. So if you take away that interception, I mean, how much better does he look at, at, in this quarterback and with three touchdowns on through the air, one touchdown on the ground, only one interception, um, on 30 for 37 passing, uh, again, almost 300 yards. This St. Louis Battlehawks team has got themselves a stinking quarterback. And I hope, hope, hope. That they continue to, to, to favor the run. They don't necessarily have to favor, but continue to pound the rock. But definitely open this offense up for this kid. Because you are going to win football games if you open this offense up and let this kid throw some throw the football. He looked phenomenal. Um, again, we, we pushed this as, the, play, as the, play, uh, the, the game of the week. And it delivered. Phenomenal game. Close scoring game. Um, came down to the wire. Phenomenal, phenomenal game. Um Frankly, I can't wait to see the rematch. Something I love about a small league, 
with a short window. We don't have to wait long to see the Battle Hawks and the Roughnecks play again. And, uh, I mean, you talk about what this can do to standings. I mean, it's going to be huge. Um, do you have anything you want to add to this, Jesse? I will have to say that through two weeks, I would put St. Louis as my surprise team of the year. Because at the start of the season, looking at their roster, I thought they had a decent run game with Matt Jones, but I I had serious questions about their quarterback. And so far, that question just hasn't been there. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I know we've talked in depth off air about who the heck is this kid? What the heck did he do? Is he any good? Who the heck knows? Well, I don't think that's conversations that we can continue to have off air, Jesse. <laughs> I think we're sitting there and this kid's proving that he's pretty he's pretty good. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and yeah, and I'm I'm excited to watch him play. I'm excited to watch the Battlehawks play every week now. Um because this this team's really uh is really is really looking good. And even that defense, you know, that defense was able to hold uh, P.J. Walker to 170 yards, 197 total yards, if you even include the rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's impressive since that was not just Ambush Sports Offensive Player of the Week last year or last week, but the entire X- the XFL Star of the Week was was P.J. Walker, and uh, they were able to hold him to 197 yards total. Now they still gave the three touchdowns. But, I mean, you can't do everything. The sidearm to Cam Phillips in the back of the end zone, I mean, seriously, that was one of the best. I mean, that was, that was an NFL throw if I've ever stinking seen one. Um, I mean, it was very uh, uh, Matt Stafford-esque throwing that thing from his hip and slinging it through two defenders under an arm and into his, uh, wide, uh, to his uh, receiver's hands for that. So if we don't have anything else to cover on the games, do we have anything else before I take it away? You got anything else? Oh, uh, I forgot to mention it earlier with Dallas, but it was one of the things that definitely excited me. We finally got to see our first three-point conversion. Very true. I can't believe I forgot to mention that because that was one of the things I was really disappointed we didn't get to see in week one. (laughs) But I was really excited to get to see it happen. And I just... I just think it's I think it's really enjoying it's really cool to watch, especially you know growing up watching NFL. You're not used to a team being able to score nine points and make it a one point game again. And it, it yeah, definitely fun to see. And it added a bit of excitement to a game that kind of looked like it might be going out of hand because at that point Dallas was running the ball up and down and and LA didn't seem to have an answer for it. Absolutely, yeah, and something I didn't mention either. The the first one uh, was actually the DC Defenders. They did not complete theirs. Mm. Um, so I think on the season we are one of two on three point conversions because uh, LA did in fact convert their three point conversion. So that was definitely I agree, definitely fun. We finally got a chance to see that uh, got a chance to see that system uh, in effect. And uh, I, I love it. I love it. I love, you know, even talking the Vipers game, um, you know, 17 to nine, you, you still have a chance, <laughs> you know, and I, and I absolutely love that. And I love the comeback period. Um, but we're going to continue on. We're going to go on to a new segment that we have not named, but we're going to kind of make up something on the spottish. Uh, since we're talking about three-point plays, let's go ahead and we're going to hit you with our four-points plays. We've got four points that we want to talk about, about how the play in the XFL is, whether we like it, whether we don't like it, whatever it is. So on the spot, we're calling this four-point plays. Jesse, 
I'm gonna let you take it away first, sir. What is your point number one? All right, my my first the first thing I really look at when I was looking at this week after two weeks and where I thought we were gonna be uh, coming into it. So far, what I've seen is we you know we have a lot of quarterbacks in this league with NFL experience. They've been on NFL rosters. Your Landry Joneses, your Connor Cooks, your Aaron Murrays. These guys have been on NFL rosters and Josh Johnson, uh, just to mention a few. But what has absolutely surprised me and shocked me is that two guys so far who have come out and played like MVPs of the league so far, and Jordan Tayemu? Yes? Okay. And and uh, PJ, and uh, PJ Walker, both of these guys have come out and looked like MVPs of the league, and neither one of them had any, any NFL experience at all. So my question to you is, what do you make of that? That is actually very interesting. Um, yeah, especially when you start talking about like uh, like Jordan. Um, I believe, if I saw correctly yesterday, he is the youngest quarterback in the league, 22 years old. Uh, P.J. Walker, same deal. I mean, it's not like this is a guy that's that's been a journeyman someplace, uh, spent multiple years on different rosters and practice squads. I think he did spend a little bit of time uh, I'm either preseason or practice squad or something with the Colts because um, I've heard a couple of people say that it was actually Andrew Luck that uh, spoke to his dad about getting P.J. Walker into the into the draft and bringing him into that league, um, which, I mean, what, what, what kind of a freaking vote of confidence is that, right? Like Andrew Luck's telling, you know, is, is pointing me out. Yeah, you need to get this guy involved. And obviously, you know, it, it's made sense because we're talking about him now. Is You know, I've seen articles written already. Is, is P.J. Walker the first XFL star? And um, I don't think that's true because I think you have to put guys like Jordan Tamu in this conversation. Is is this is this guy a star? Now is he is is Jordan is flashy? No, you know, but but I mean he's quietly just puts up three hundred yards uh, and, and then adds whatever I said, uh, you know, thirty something or whatever on the ground and another touchdown. I mean these these are these. I mean this this kid's good, and you got PJ again, really good. Um, especially with with PJ Walker coming from a small school, coming from Temple and stuff like that. Um, it's what I want in the XFL uh, more than anything. I want to see small school guys or guys that have never gotten a shot because they don't they don't fit the measurables, the metrics, the what we're supposed to see as an NFL quarterback. And uh, and we're seeing a guy like PJ Walker and he's he's balling out and it's stinking fun. It is fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I I definitely I think this is what the XFL. I think this is good for the XFL to answer your question. What do I make of it? I think it's super good for the XFL because you're going to actually have kids that are coming up in these smaller schools, and that's like now they they have that vision that I can not only make this, but I can become a star in this new league, and that's what's going to help this league um, stick around and hopefully continue to grow and uh, and just provide more awesome football for us as fans. Oh, couldn't agree more. And one thing, one thing I thought about. You mentioned them being two of the younger quarterbacks, and it. I, I can't help but cross my mind that being that neither one of them, like they don't have real what I, what I would consider real NFL experience. But Andrew Luck thought uh, enough of him to mention it to his dad that they needed to bring him into the league. I would say from watching both of them play, they both seem just really hungry. Like like yeah. they have something to prove, and that and that's what makes it so exciting. I agree, a hundred percent. I think it's I think it's an amazing thing for the league that we have guys coming in who haven't been in the NFL and are absolutely showing out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a win for the 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 fans. It's a win 
for the league. It's a win for football, and it's a win for these kids and their families, man. And I, yeah, I couldn't be happier to see um, I mean, exactly what this was created for. All right, so I'm going to move on to point number two. And I know I talked about it last week, but my friends, I am going to just continue to talk about it until either someone just sends me a letter telling me to shut up or whatever. But the sideline interviews, I hate them. I do not like them at all. There's been maybe like one that I think has been worth a darn since we've done it. Uh, matter of fact, just to kind of highlight in the Dallas LA game, there was like three interviews in a row that were just so annoying. I mean, Dallas uh, just goes down and scores their touchdown. They're trying to interview Josh Johnson, basically why he's trying, like he's warming up to go back onto the field. And the question just makes no sense. Well, they got all the momentum. What are you going to try to do about it? Well, I don't know. What do you think I'm going to try to go? We're going to go out there and try to score. I mean, that's what we're going to try to. We're going to go out there and try to play offense. We're going to try to do something. And like, to me, it's just a stupid question. And, and, and to me, it's like for, for a league that's trying to get away from the gimmicks, I feel like this is a gimmick. It's not an innovation at all. It is a gimmick. Look at what we're doing. We can talk to whoever, whenever. I mean, they talked to, to, to Nelson Spruce after the long touchdown. What did you see on the touchdown? I was open. <laughs> I caught a touchdown. Like, it's not a good interview. It's not entertaining. It's, it's, it's annoying, if anything. It's super annoying. I can't stand it. I do not like the sideline interviews. Um, I think we're just going to see more and more people end up getting in trouble than we're going to see, than we're ever going to get good content that's worth a darn. Now, potentially you can say it's working because I'm talking about it, but I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And that's all I've got to say on it. Do you have anything you want to add to the worst part of the XFL? Um, no, I think you pretty much covered it. The, the only thing is, like you said, I've seen a couple of good interviews, but for the most part, um, those were few and far between, and I don't think they were good enough to cancel out the fact that, like in week one, for example, I think we talked about this one, where they're trying to interview a defensive player, or they're trying to interview a New York player who just scored the touchdown, because they uh, he scored on a fumble scoop six, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe so. And they're trying to interview him as he has to head back out there on defense. And to me, that just shows a complete lack of situational awareness. And I think if you're going to do the sideline interviews, they need to be real football people with football awareness. And so far, I've only seen that in one game so far. Yeah, it's just to me, it's not worth it's not worth it. I mean, we've already had the F-bomb in week one with trying to interview people after a fight. And it just just get rid of it. Somebody, please just get rid of it. I like almost everything else i don't need that much access i don't need to know how some guy feels after he misses a 34 yard field goal don't need to know it i already know it he feels pretty crappy the end you know i don't need to know what nelson spruce saw when he caught a touchdown because he caught the touchdown that's really what we cared about (laughs) like that was it i saw when i ran past the guy and there was not a guy in front of me like that's the best you're going to get out of that interview (laughs) so anyway we're going to move on from that i'm going to continue to beat this dead horse though until Hopefully something changes. Um, Jesse, hit me with your point three. My point three. Um, Josh, let me ask you something. I, I just I was thinking about this earlier today. At the start of the season, if you were looking at the Vegas odds, who did Vegas have picked win at all? I believe it was Dallas followed very, very closely by Tampa Bay. Okay, so the question I have to ask is I've seen two weeks now where Tampa Bay is just 
I, there's no way to sugarcoat it. They've looked absolutely inept. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what do you feel like is going on here? That is a very good question, especially being a little bit of a Tampa Bay fan myself because it's it's the local team. I got a bunch of guys from the old Orlando Apollos that I still uh, chit-chat with every so often uh, are on that team. If I had to guess, I would say that it's there's no offensive identity. And if anything, it seems like we're trying to play a lot of pro-style football in a college-style format uh, with college football-type quarterbacks. Um, I know you and I talked about it yesterday, in, or yesterday, last week, sorry. And when we gave predictions, I even said that I only select the Vipers if they commit to Quentin Flowers because if you commit to Quentin Flowers, that means you're changing that offense into something different than what we saw last week. We did not see the commitment to Flowers. Matter of fact, if anything, they made it worse with this back and forth, like run two plays and then you put another quarterback in for third down. Like what kind of stupidity is that? Um, but what we're, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a defensive head coach try to manage like this new school college offense and uh, they're they're just like conflicting ideas, and I think that's what we're seeing is is like this this merging of ideas, and and f- you know we're trying to shove the 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 the, the square peg in the, in the round hole, and it's just not working. Um, it's just not working. I hundred percent agree. Watching the film so far, I'm watching Tampa Bay play. It seems Tampa Bay in both games they played so far have outgained their opponents. They've outrushed their opponents. Matter of fact, I'd have to check this statistically, but I know two of the top five runners in the uh, XFL are from Tampa Bay. And Jock West Patrick yeah. and... Uh, Davion Smith. And thank you. The name was escaping me there for a second. That's one of my, that's one of my old Apollos. But <laughs> right now, you're, you're right. It just we, we have no identity at quarterback. And quite honestly, it's kind of frustrating because I feel like our best quarterback, we don't know how to use him, and it kind of... It just makes me think of this year with the with the Baltimore Ravens, for example. The Baltimore Ravens had a very good, you know, obviously they had a very good year when they put MVP Lamar Jackson out there, but nobody expected him to be the MVP at the start of the year, and there were a lot of question marks around him. But the offensive coordinator for the Ravens developed an offense that worked for him. And I feel like we have the same thing with Tampa Bay Vipers and Quentin Flowers. I think we have a guy that could be very explosive, but for some reason they just refuse to let him off the chain. No, absolutely. That's it's it's silly um, to to kind of see uh, like what what Tampa Bay is continuing to do. Um, it, I'll be honest, it's just never really a good idea to play two quarterbacks i mean it it, instead of i know what they're thinking is well it's like a change of pace but really all it's doing is now you're putting two quarterbacks out and nobody's ever in a rhythm that's that's all you're doing you're just making two bad quarterbacks (laughs) because nobody can get into a rhythm nobody's getting the flow of the game because as soon as they start they're coming out and some other plays being run that's a completely different formation. So you're not even allowing your offensive lineman to get into a groove because I hate to say it, but Taylor, uh, Taylor Cornelius and Aaron Murray are far different than Quentin Flowers. So blocking schemes are different. Uh, the play calling's different. So you're just not allowing anybody to get into a rhythm because you're constantly making this rotating door of quarterback. 
Um, so, I mean, so at some point you've got to commit. And even if that means you're going to take your lashes, like let, let the guy take his knocks and let him go back out the next week and try it again. I mean, I understand that you didn't have that opportunity with Aaron Murray this week because he was taken out with, he was, he was out with injury. Um, but why wouldn't you have played the guy that played last week? It's just, it's, it's just my question. I don't understand it. Like I said, I, to me, this is a college football format in the XFL. Let it, let, let, let guys that were good in college football do college football stuff. Like, why not? Like, let it happen. We're watching PJ Walker, uh, improv and ad lib all the time. And you're seeing what he's doing. Uh, we're seeing like the zone read type concept, uh, that that's run a bunch in, in the in the in, in the NCAA, we're seeing that with Jordan Tamu, who we're who we're talking about as top top level quarterbacks right now in this league. Um, even Cardell Jones with with these different design quarterback runs and pull draw and draw zone reads, different things like that. Um, the three offenses that look the best are running college style t- uh, uh, offenses, and uh, and then you've got Tampa Bay with whatever the crap they're doing um, there. I, yeah, I wish I had a better answer for you than that, bud. Um, I, I 100% agree with that. I just, I, I feel like the freedom is there to come up with a creative offense, and so far what they've, what they've done is anything but. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and move on to our fourth point. Um, and this is something that, again, we kind of talked about uh, earlier, off air again, um, just kind of discussing like something, and I'll just kind of, enlighten everybody as to what exactly we're talking about we're talking about the 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 curiosity of these low scoring games and we kind of started working through the process of why perhaps these games seem to be lower scoring um especially when when vegas like week one like every game was like 56 and a half points or 58 and a half point like over unders um and and most of them felt pretty short uh you just had these weird uh these weird things that were going on and then again we kind of saw you know game one and game two um, yes, you had the defenders put up 27. It was 27 to zero. Uh, you had nine to 17. I mean, 25 to 18. You know, but but again, if you look at the first half, it was like six to nine or something, or three to nine or something. I mean, it was the, like really a lot of low scores, low scores, low scores. And so we talked about that. What do we think is the deal with that? And there's a couple schools of thought that we talked about. We talked about coaching. We thought that, you know what we just kind of covered with uh, Tampa Bay is you know coaching definitely is involved in that. Um, and trying to trying to put in you know trying again trying to put the square peg in the round hole it's just not working very well, but if there's anything that I think and what we talked about I think the defense is just ahead of the offense right now, um, and and I say that because I mean there's a lot of really 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 good defensive players in this league there was a lot of very good defensive players in the Alliance of American Football there's a lot of good defensive players that are playing on arena football leagues. Um, there's a lot of like really good defensive players, and I don't think there's quite the plethora of of offensive talent. Plus, and I'm not taking anything away from defense at all, but defense tends to be a little more reactionary. So you're learning defenses, but you're not learning it as in depth as you might be learning, uh, perhaps uh, like what a quarterback's trying to learn or what your wide receivers are trying to learn, or different blocking techniques that running backs are trying to learn, plus, you know, different everything. So there's a lot of stuff, I think, going on in the offenses. And, again, this we're only two weeks in, and we're seeing that the defenses are just able to stay ahead. Uh, and if you go and just look at, again, back to the coaching, a lot of these coaches, that like the, the well-known coaches, a lot of them are defensive-minded, defensive-playing coaches. 
um, like NFL level, like defensive coaches, defensive minded coaches. So I think the defense is is definitely ahead of the offense, and I think that as the as we hit that midpoint of the season and maybe a little beyond, we're gonna start to see um, more of what the XFL is built for, which is speed and scoring. I don't think by week six we're gonna have a twenty-seven to zero game. I don't think by week six we're gonna have a nineteen to, or seventeen to nine game. It's not something I'm anticipating. I'm expecting to see a lot more twenty-eights to twenty-fours, thirty-twos uh, to thirty-sixes uh, as these offenses continue to learn and continue to, to to lower the curve and smooth out that curve that the defense kind of has on them right now. Um, so my point four is that don't fret and think this bad football if that's like if you're on the fence like well this isn't scoring like it's supposed to just keep in mind the defenses tend to learn quicker and, and you you said it beautifully before we got on air that you hear it all the time even the nfl level that the defense is just ahead of the offense right now and you you do see that even on the on the on the professional level the nfl type level so um definitely definitely don't let this discourage you at all if you're watching these games, um, know that the offenses will start to click. They'll start to create an identity, and we're going to start to see some just awesome kick-butt games uh, as, as this season continues on. Do you have anything you want to add? To Actually, that? I do. Um, I was thinking about this while, uh, while I was listening to you give your explanation. One other, one other thing that I, it can't help but escape my – well, it didn't escape my attention really – is that when you look at the NFL, and I hate to keep comparing it to the NFL because they are two different beasts, but it's mostly the football I know. Um, one thing that seems to be pretty common is that when you have an offensive coordinator swap, that offense doesn't look the same for about the first year or so. They need about a year under their belt. Um, so far, every team in the uh, XFL, this is their first year in that system. We're, we're two games into the first year, and they've, they've only had two games in – how long did they have to practice before the start of the year? Was it a full month? Uh, just about, I think. Yeah, and then just the one like scrimmage game. Okay, it takes time to learn an offense, and I think I think you're right. The XFL rules are built for the 55 to 49 games that we love to see in the the Arena Football League, but we just we just got to slow down and give it a chance because it's it's a hard thing to learn for sure. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more there. Yeah, definitely another another uh, aspect to that. Yeah, it takes some time to learn these offenses and uh, and make this thing these things click. Um, all right, so we're gonna move on from that. So that was our four point plays, and we are going to go ahead and hit you guys with our predictions. Uh, Jesse, I will let you go first. We have Houston. Roughnecks at the Tampa Bay Vipers. Who are you taking? As much as I would like to say, I think Tampa Bay is going to win this football game because I am a bit of a homer and I'm always pulling from my Tampa Bay teams. I really don't see a scenario where PJ Walker doesn't come in here and then just light us up. So I'm going to go with Houston. Nice. I'm going to go with Tampa. I'm just kidding. I'm going to go with Houston as well. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't care if they start Tom Brady this week. I'm probably going to go with Houston regardless. Um, again, I do think that if Aaron Murray comes back, I think this is going to be a little more competitive. I know we kind of bashed Aaron Murray last week, but when we see that uh, Murray was able to produce close to 400 yards, um, definitely helped out on that uh, that front. So if he comes back healthy, um, that defense is able – if they can just cut down the turnovers, I think it will be a fun game 
but I do have Houston uh, taking taking this one. All right, so we're gonna move on. We got Dallas Renegades at Seattle Dragons. Keep in mind, I do want to mention this really quick. Kudos to freaking Seattle. They brought in almost thirty thousand people, man. Thirty freaking thousand people. Seattle Dragons fans, y'all stinking rock. That is amazing. Thirty thousand people for the home opener. Congratulations. But tell me, my friend, who do you have in that game? Real quick, before I give you my uh, prediction, I do want to point out that, that watching that game, it did seem like a pretty raucous environment. And Seattle definitely seems to love their football, and it's absolutely great for the XFL to see something like that. That said, absolutely. That said, I gotta go with Dallas this week. I don't believe <laughs> Seattle's. I I just don't believe Seattle's that great right now, and I'm not sold on that offense. And so far, so far against. Uh, so far against uh, St. Louis and against L.A., Dallas has Dallas has played pretty well so far. So I gotta I, I I gotta go with them. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and say that I think Seattle takes uh, the most people will go to that game. I'll give them that one again. But I also think that Dallas is gonna win the game. Um, I'm curious though if Seattle can break that that 29,884 whatever this, the number was. Uh, I want to see you guys break into 30,000. This is like my call to arms for the Seattle Dragons. Um, but I am also going to go with the Dallas Renegades. I think Landry Jones um, fixes some of those mistakes, uh, cleans that up. I, honestly, you're talking if he doesn't throw those two interceptions, this game's probably last week's game was is probably a far bigger margin of victory. Um, and I just don't really anticipate. Uh, 300 yards or whatever he had, 350 yards, and uh, and, and those two picks. So I, I expect to see the, the interceptions go down and uh, the yardage and touchdowns kind of go up or remain the same. Um, so I'm going to go Dallas as well. Let's go with New York Guardians versus St. Louis Battlehawks. Now they are at St. Louis. At St. They St. are Louis at St. Louis. So far in the first yes, couple sir. weeks, that seemed to matter quite a bit. Yes, it has. But... As we select, as we select the first two away teams to win. Yeah, um, but I do have to say, I think St. Louis is. I think St. Louis is the much better football team here. I think St. Louis is an upper half team. I think they're probably a playoff bound team at this point. I know it's way too early to say that, but I'm gonna make my, I'm gonna make my hot take here that I think they're, I think they're gonna be one of the four in the playoffs. Which again is surprising because at the start of the season, I did not have them very high up on my list. But so far, they play a very balanced attack. Even in the game they lost against Dallas, when you look at some of the team statistics, they they dominated the play, uh, the offensive plays and the yardage. And unfortunately, it just wasn't there in the end. But I don't think New York's that good. I really don't think New York's very good. And I think Del- I think St. Louis is going to come in and dominate this game from start to finish. I am man. You're just. I, I, I'm gonna have to make the next prediction first. That seems like you're copycatting me. Um, but yeah, I'm actually going with the same. I'm going with St. Louis, and for a lot of the same reasons you said. I'm just really quick. I went back to look at this Guardians. Uh, this Guardians team. They've given up 394 yards and 384 yards, um, and that was against the Vipers in DC. And you're gonna tell me that the Battle Hawks are not gonna possibly be our first 500 yard team. I don't think so. I've got St. Louis going um, going over 500 yards and probably putting a hurting uh, on this New York's Guardians team. I'm sorry to any Guardians fans that are listening, but I'm definitely favoring the Battlehawks on this one. I think it just fits 
what they're already good at. Um, you know, they had, see, just to keep in, in, in the frame here, last week they had 390 yards if to a team that's already given up almost 400 twice. Um, I don't see it getting better. I don't see it getting easier. St. Louis um, almost, if not easier, than D.C. Um, and speaking of D.C., we're going to move into our last game. The D.C. Defenders are not at home this week. They're moving away to the other side of the country. They're going to go take on the Los Angeles Wildcats. Who do you have and why? I think um this one was a this one was a tough call for me, but I think I am gonna go DC. I haven't seen enough from LA to be completely sold on them. Although they did look much better this week than they did in Week One with Houston, uh, against Houston with Josh Johnson healthy again. I could see a scenario where Josh Johnson plays out of his mind and they manage to pull it out, but just uh just right off the cusp, I gotta go with DC. I knew I should have gone first because I'm also going to go DC. <laughs> so we are deadlocked on our picks. Um, what are you looking at for game of the week? Game of the week. Um, that's interesting. Mm, I think I would have to go with the Dallas game because I think all of th- uh, just the Houston, the St. Louis, and the DC games I see as potentially very lopsided games. It's funny you say that because I was thinking for sure you won't make the same selection as me, but I am also going with the Dallas and Seattle game. Um, So that's interesting. Uh, For a lot of the same reasons, I think the St. Louis uh, game is going to be a a blowout, but I I could also see the DC-LA game really shaping up to be a good one. But I think one that's super important is is that Dallas-Seattle game. Um, I think that's very, very a very important game, uh, even though it might not be the most interesting or whatever, but I think there's a lot is going to really ride on that game. Um, so I think it's very important for standings and for end-of-the-year stuff. Um, so that's, that's actually the game I'm going with as well, is uh, the game of the week for Ambush Sports uh, Selection. So we're going to go Dallas at Seattle. And if I'm as our game of the week, and if I may, real quick, in the spirit of college football, I do want to, I do want to mention, I'm I'm gonna put DC on upset alert this week. Ooh. I I think they're gonna win that football game, but I think if they go in there and they sleep on LA at all, I think Josh Johnson can hurt you. Well, look at there. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put the New York Guardians at upset alert because I think there's a lot of fans going to be upset after that game. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to get the heck out of here because you've been listening to us for almost an hour. But I do appreciate it. Um, please, you can follow us on Ambush Sports Twitter. We've got at Ambush Sports, at Ambush Sports Football. We've got uh, myself, at Bearded Moose. That's with two zeros. So that's M-0-0-S-E. You've got The Outlaw. Hit him with how to spell that sucker, though. Um, the only the only change you're gonna make is it's gonna be a three instead of an e. And also, I want to add that uh, I, you can follow me on Twitch at Outlaw Gaming. Boom, Outlaw Gaming, the Outlaw. That's T H three Outlaw. Jesse Dice. Um, I'm Josh Moosel. This is the Bearded Moose and the Outlaw Podcast. I appreciate you joining and listening. See y'all later. See you next week.